Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Colin Hone. So I'm excited to be here at, at Dora Creek. Now, I wasn't brought up a uh, seven-day Adventist. About 25 years ago, I was, well, I was in a unit in Melbourne. I had about one dollar to my name. And I had studied with many different religions, seeking the truth. What is the purpose of life? Why do we exist? Why am I here? And uh, everyone said that we have the truth. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I grew up in a, as a Catholic, went to boarding schools of priests and brothers and nuns, and they said, we have the truth. I remember the, the Mormons knocked on the door when I was 17, and I studied with the Mormons, and they said, uh, we have the truth. I remember uh, also when I was in the Navy for about seven years, we had Bible studies, and some uh, evangelical says, we have the truth. And so everybody said that we have the truth. And so I kept on searching. So even when I was uh, about 24, I got at the Navy and I decided that I would go and live in Nimbin. Has anyone heard of Nimbin? Yes. Yeah? Everyone been to Nimbin? Not so many, huh? So, so I even went uh, and lived up in a rainforest near Nimbin for about, uh, I don't know, about six months, uh, looking in the New Age, you know, New Age thing about uh, Hinduism and all types of things like that and and I don't really remember much because I was smoking obviously too much weed. So um, that was my experience of that. But I was still searching. You know, what, you, know, you know what I mean? I was looking for something. Why do we? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And does God have a true church on earth? Anyway, I was down to one dollar. That's all I had to my name. And that night, about 25 years ago in Melbourne, I actually cried out to God, and I said, "Do you exist? And if you do exist," Do you have a church that you're working through in the last days, in these last days? I remember also I even studied with the Jehovah's Witnesses. My father was, uh, my mother were divorced when I was five. And uh, my father remarried and she became a Jehovah's Witness, uh, my stepmother. And I remember when I used to go home in the Navy on leave, you would walk into the house. And if you know Jehovah's Witnesses, it was an automatic Bible study as soon as I walked in the house on leave. And so she opened up the Bible to me and to some of the prophecies in the book of Daniel about, uh, you know, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ten Kingdoms. So she opened the Bible about these truths and they said that, she said that we have the truth. So I pray to God and two weeks later, I am walking down Bondi Beach, walking down the beach and there were some young people dressed sort of like you guys. They were dressed neatly and I knew that they were Christians because they weren't dressed like me or anyone else that was going out that night at Bondi Beach. But I thought I was smart because I'd studied with the Jehovah's Witnesses and I said, uh, oh, have you got anything on prophecy? And they gave me a book. It's a white book with two red stripes on it. You might have heard of it. It's called National Sunday Law. And they gave me this book on the beach. And I read this book on, the, on a bus back to Melbourne. I'm looking at this book and going... This is amazing. This actually makes sense. All the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And so then I looked at the back of the book. And the back of the book, it said, Seven Day Adventists. And I thought, Seven Day Adventists? You know, and the only thing I could think of is, you know, Six Day Bike Riders. That's what we used to call Seven Day Adventists, Six Day Bike Riders. And I thought, okay, Lord, I did pray for this. So I said, do I know a Seven Day Adventist? And I knew one. She actually was an old girlfriend of mine. She obviously wasn't a seven-day Venice when she was my girlfriend, but she had gone back to the church. 
And we were still friends. And I rang her up and I said, listen, tell me more about the seven-day Adventist church. I've read this book about the prophecies of Daniel and Revelations and the three angels' message. Uh, and uh, she invited me to her parents' house and they gave me another book. You probably haven't heard of it called The Great Controversy. And so I read that book in about a week, cover to cover, the whole big thick one, not The Great Hope, the, the original. And so I read this book in a week and then I read The Desire of Ages and then I decided this is all true. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has got the truth. They have been chosen and raised up in 1844, according to the 2300-day or year prophecy, to take the three angels' message to the world. This is the last message to go to the world. And so I was excited, and I, and I rang up you know, the Yellow Pages and said, I'd like a Bible study. And a pastor couldn't believe that someone actually rang up for a Bible study. And uh, we did Bible studies for about six months, and uh, I was then baptized in Haukwa. And many of you probably should be saying, praise the Lord, but I didn't hear one, praise the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, I was baptized six months later. Praise the Lord. Okay. Okay. He didn't tell me everything about Dora Creek. All right. But, but so, so I was baptized. And here's the thing. I didn't read Revelation chapter 3, though. I was baptized, and I joined a church that was lukewarm. It was lukewarm about the spirit of prophecy. We don't really talk about the spirit of prophecy anymore. It was lukewarm about the three angels' message. And so here I was excited about a message, and guess what happened to me? I became lukewarm. I sat in the pews each week, and I came to Sabbath each week, and I heard a sermon, paid my tithe occasionally when I felt like it. Sometimes I even got called to take a, you know, a lesson. And I thought, that's it. I'm preaching and sharing the three angels' message with the world. And I never had any victories really over sin in my life. In my life. And I thought, what's missing? What's missing? Now, remember, it took a crisis for me to lead me to the seven-day Adventist church. And it took another crisis to get my attention, for God to get my attention. And this crisis led me to actually leave the church for 12 months. A crisis came, and you do two things when a crisis comes. You either turn to God, or you run away. And I ran away. I really, God revealed really where I really was with my relationship with Jesus, and also my relationship and mission being with the Seventh-day Adventist church. So I left for a year, but do you know when you know something is true? You know when you just know deep in your heart and your mind, you know it's true. I mean, when you think about it, we're in the Bible. We're actually in the Bible. At Seventh-day Adventist, we're in the Bible. I mean, when you look it up and put all the markers, what other church right, is Satan making war on? Here, he's making war on what? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the Jesus Christ. So he's making war on those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, it says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So God's last day church keep the commandments of God. They have the spirit of prophecy. They'll also be giving the three angels message to the world, which couldn't begin until 1844 because that's when judgment began. That's when Jesus moved into the most holy place and the work of the investigative judgment began. So what other church... Ticks all those boxes. 
I couldn't find one. I still, there's only one church is the Seventh-day Adventist church. But it also talks about the Seventh-day Adventist church or God's last day church being what? Laodicea, lukewarm. And so I left the church for 12 months, but I knew all these things were true. And I just couldn't keep away. And after 12 months, I said, I had a, just spoke to God and said, you know what, Lord, I know these things are true. I'm going to 100% commit myself to you. And I'm going back and I'm going to go out and do whatever it takes to do the message you've given us. And I loved the Sabbath school that I heard this morning. I think you were referring to it. What is our mission? Are we going to actually do our mission? And so I came back and fortunately I was invited to a revival weekend. Now, this revival weekend, someone dragged me to it because it was on the Holy Spirit. Now, and it was particularly, he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, be honest, as seven-day Venice, when I say the word baptism of the Holy Spirit, what do you think of? Pentecostals? That's what I thought of when, when I heard the word baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, Pentecostals. Does that mean... These people are going to be, you know, falling on the floor and speaking in tongues and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and so I was very, very hesitant to go to this revival meeting. They said, no, it's from a seven-day Venice pastor. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I went along and um, he uh, opened up the Bible. And I'm going to do the same today. I'm going to open up the Bible and hopefully this will work. So in Revelation 10 verse 7... Revelation says, but in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. And he declared to his servants prophets. What the Bible's saying here is when the seventh trumpet is blown, that's blown just before Jesus returns. It says the mystery of God will be revealed. Okay? Just before the seventh trumpet, just before Jesus returns. So the question is, is what is the mystery of God? And the Bible tells us, that the mystery of God is found in Colossians. This is a really weird clicker. You've got to roll it up. It says, The mystery of God will be revealed just before Jesus returns. Aha. Colossians 1, 27 to 29 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. So just before Jesus returns, the mystery of God is going to be revealed to the universe, which is Christ in you. So the next question logically is, how does Christ live in us? And so we know at Seventh-day Venice that there's what's called the early rain and the latter rain. We know that the latter rain will be poured out just before Jesus returns in conjunction with the Sunday law crisis, the close of probation, that the latter rain will be poured out. And we know that it's found in Revelations 18 verse 1 where it says that God's glory is going to light up this earth. And what is God's glory? His character. So God's character is going to be seen in his people and it's going to light up the earth. But we want to know, want to know what the early rain is because if you don't receive the early rain and grow in the early rain of the Holy Spirit, well, guess what? You don't receive the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. So do you think it's important to receive the early rain? And grow in the, in the early rain. Let me give you a reason why we as Seventh-day Adventists haven't really spoken or we don't hear much about the early rain or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you were Satan, if you were, and I was in the military, and we're in a spiritual war, aren't we? 
You don't want God's people to get the latter rain of the Holy Spirit, do you? Because when God's people receive the latter rain of the Holy Spirit, what happens? Well, the three angels' message is giving out in power, in greater power in Revelation 18.1. It's repeated with extra power, isn't it? And you know, once God re- God's people receive the latter rain of the Holy Spirit, that's it, folks. The last message goes to the world in power, the close of probation comes, and Jesus returns. You know, the seven last plagues, etc. Final trouble. So what would be your strategy to stop God's people receiving the latter rain? I'll tell you, don't let them receive the earlier rain and grow in the earlier rain. And so, they, so I can imagine the demon saying, well, how are we going to do that? He says, easily, let's have a counterfeit baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a counterfeit baptism of the Holy Spirit that focuses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then God's people will be very wary because Ellen White, Ellen, sorry, Ellen White wrote about the counterfeit baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been afraid of the true baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of the counterfeit. And I'm going to tell you in a minute how you can tell the difference. You want to know the difference? I'll tell you in a minute. So, this is so... In the Bible, it says in Joel 2.23, and here is Peter quoting Joel 2.23 on the day of Pentecost. He says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you what? The former rain moderately... And he'll cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain. So how does Jesus live in us is the question, isn't it? How does Jesus live in us? Well, Jesus, in answer to prayer in John 14, 12, made this incredible statement. I want you to just get your head around this statement. He says, Most surely I say to you that he who believes in me, he who believes in Jesus, the works that I do, so the works that Jesus does, you will do also... And even greater works. Have you ever thought about the works that Jesus did? Pretty amazing works that he did, isn't it? And he says, this is why. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is telling us that enable us to do the same works as Jesus, he has to go back to the Father. And then he goes on and continues and says... In John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments and I'll pray the father and he'll give you another helper or comforter that he may abide you with. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with us through the time of trouble? Absolutely. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive this work of the Holy Spirit because it neither knows him or sees him. But you know him for he dwells with you. So the Holy Spirit was with them. But then he says, we'll be what? We'll dwell in you. I will not leave you orphans, I'll come to you. And then Jesus goes on to tell us in the rest of John that not only is uh, the Holy Spirit going to be with us and in us, but he goes on to tell us that the Father and the Son is going to dwell in us. Is that pretty amazing? That the creator of the whole universe, and let's put that in perspective, in our galaxy alone where we live, there are approximately 100 to 200 billion suns just in our little galaxy that we live in. 100 to 200 billion suns with all planets that are rotating around those suns or stars. And they reckon scientists think there's at least probably 100 to 200 billion galaxies, what we know of. And the God that created all of them wants to dwell 
in us. Hence, you need the cleansing of the sanctuary first. All right, That was the whole point of the cleansing of the sanctuary, was to remove sin so the Shekinah glory could dwell in the most holy place. That's why Jesus died and paid the penalty on the cross, so that our sins can be removed for the dwelling of the Father and Son in us. So let's, go, let's move on. And he goes on to say that Jesus says, we're going to come and abide in you and abide in me. And again, in 1 John chapter 3, 24, Jesus tells us now that he who keeps the commandments abides in him and what? And he in them. And this we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. We will know if Jesus is living in us by the spirit he has given us. And then Jesus, we talked about this in Sabbath school this morning, actually. I, uh, I didn't want to actually say anything, but Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Unless you are born of what? Water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we need to be born of water. So when are we born of water? What? Baptism, isn't it? We're baptized in water, which represents to what? Remission of sins, isn't it? So we're dying to self, remission of sins. And then we're born of the Spirit when we're filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when did the early rain baptism the Holy Spirit begin? Pentecost, Pentecost, the disciples, right, were with Jesus and Jesus assembled them and said to them, hey, listen, guys, even though they'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, the disciples, he said he'd give them their commission, had he not? He said, what, take the gospel to the world? Then he says something incredible. He says, but wait, even though you've been with me three and a half years, I've been trained and equipped. Okay, I've given you your mission. You have to wait until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we know that they came together. And what did they do? They prayed. For how long? Ten days. They prayed for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They prayed. And Jesus also says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive Christ in me and you're going to do the same works as I do. He also says that you're going to be what? Witnesses. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or one of the purposes, is to what? Witness. Now, my first 12 years as a seven-day Venice is I never led one person that I'm aware of, that I know about, to Jesus in 12 years as a seven-day Venice. After I started praying, repenting and praying for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit of Christ in me, the hope of glory... The Lord has used me to lead hundreds, if not thousands, to Christ. So what's the difference? Twelve years without the Holy Spirit, or maybe a little of the Holy Spirit, and then the last eight or nine years asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit for two purposes. And we're going to talk about the two purposes of being filled with the Holy Spirit is for Christ to live out his life in and through you. That's why it means Christ in you. Did Paul say we have to die daily? Well, if we die daily, don't we need to be maybe born daily? Or be filled with the Holy Spirit daily? Wouldn't that make logical sense? We're to die daily. And um, so we're to be witnesses. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is used approximately about seven times in the New Testament. Did you know Ellen White uses it over 129 times? She says also the baptism of the Holy Ghost 27 times. She says, what we need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she's not talking to unbelievers. She's talking to fellow believers, Seven-day Adventist Church. It's not a Pentecostal cliche 
or thing. There is a true baptism in the Holy Spirit, just as there is a counterfeit baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the true baptism in the Holy Spirit is the fruit. You see, the Corinthians, when Paul was writing to Corinthians, they had, were focused on what? On the gifts of the Holy Spirit, weren't they? They were focused on tongues and other things. And Paul had to come along, come along and say, hey, listen, guys, you've missed the whole point. The true feeling or infilling of the Holy Spirit is so you have the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. He says you need love. In Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, long-suffering, temperance. These are all the fruit, fruits that come from the fruit of the Spirit of love. And so the Corinthians were so focused on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they missed the whole point of receiving Christ in them and having the fruit of the Spirit. So here's the difference. This is how you can tell the difference. You see, Satan can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can he not? Can he counterfeit tongues? Yeah. Can he counterfeit miracles? Can he have false prophecy? Yeah. So he can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he can't counterfeit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the true baptism of the Holy Spirit is Christ in you. Christ in me. When we're praying for the daily baptism or infilling or anointing, if you feel more comfortable... We are praying for Christ to live out his life and to see his fruits in and with us. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is our biblical remedy for coming out of a latest sin condition. So baptism can happen before water baptism. It can happen at water baptism and it can happen after water baptism. And I'm just going to go quickly and show you from the Bible. Jesus is our example, is he not? Was Jesus born of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he was born of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Luke, and you can read the book of Luke, he was born of the Holy Spirit. He was led by childhood and early manhood by the Holy Spirit. He was led to be baptized in water by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days where he had the victories over temptation on our behalf. In Luke chapter 4, it says he was empowered by the Holy Spirit for the greatest victories over sin. And then when he came back from the desert or the wilderness, it says he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know the disciples noticed something about Jesus? They noticed that he had a lot of power, didn't they? And they came up to him in Luke chapter 11. They said in Luke chapter 11, they came up and they said, teach us to pray. Did they not? They said, teach us to pray. And then Jesus then gives them the Our Father and says, this is how you should pray. Then he tells them a parable. He tells them a parable about a friend or a person who was having a friend over, coming over to stay. But he had nothing to give them. He had no bread. And so he goes to his neighbor and he says, give me some bread. I've got nothing to give to my friend who's coming to me. And, it's, and the Bible says that the neighbor didn't give him the bread because he was his friend, but he gave it because of his what? persistence his persistence and when you think about it we have nothing to give our neighbor do we we need the bread of life we need jesus to give to our neighbor and then jesus links the parable and he links it to asking for the holy spirit and he says it six times ask seek knock for the holy spirit he talks about the heavenly father wanting to give the Holy Spirit, 
And Jesus is basically saying, this is how I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm giving bread or grace to others because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, we too need to go and ask for grace that we can impart to others. The bread of life that we can impart to others. Now, listen to what Ellen White says about Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 139, she says, Daily, it's talking about Jesus, received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the early hours of the new day, the Lord awakened him from his slumbers and his soul and his lips were anointed with what? With grace that he might impart to others. So what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit give us? It gives us what? Grace or the bread of life so we can impart to others. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed a fresh daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, do we? Yeah. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul, what does Paul say? He says what? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, he uses the Greek continuous action verb, and which says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So what Paul is actually saying is, in the morning, be filled with the Holy Spirit. During the day, keep on asking. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus said, ask how many times in Luke chapter 11? At least six times. Ask, seek, knock. Because we're like empty vessels. We need to keep on going back to the well of life and asking for a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. What we're asking is for Jesus to live out his life in and through us daily. Paul tells us that the inward man and where the inward man is renewed day by day by the Spirit. We're renewed day by day by the Spirit, just like Paul says, you know, we die daily. In Ephesians 5.18, he says we need to continually ask and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what preparation did the early disciples make for the day of Pentecost? You think they just sat around and you just waited? No. Listen to what Ellen White tells us in uh, Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. They came together and they prayed. And she said this, The heart must be emptied of every defilement and cleansed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is made possible because of Jesus on the cross. He's made it possible for us to be cleansed from sin in our lives for the indwelling of the Spirit. It was by confession, forsaking of sin, by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God that the early disciples prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So what were the four things they did there? First thing is there was confession. Do you notice before Pentecost, the disciples were trying to be, who's going to be the greatest? Weren't they? I mean, they were Jesus for three and a half years. And they were arguing who is going to be the greatest. After Pentecost, everything changed, didn't it? So there was confession, forsaking of sin, earnest prayer, and consecration of God. I reckon there would have been a lot of healing happening in that 10 days. There would have been a lot of, forgive me, brother, for trying to be, you know, the ruler over you, trying to be the greatest. So they're the four things we need to do. Confession, forsaking of sin, earnest prayer, and consecration of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Bible, it talks about laying of hands, okay, as a special ceremony. But it's not necessary. It's simply an answer to prayer. We're simply claiming a promise by Jesus that he said he would give us. In Galatians 3, chapter 14, it's chapter 3, verse 14, he says, 
that he, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that by what? By faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God promises to give us the Spirit, and he will. Now, what happens when you receive the true daily baptism of the Holy Spirit? What happens? Well, you'll have a greater hatred for sin, but a love for sinners. Jesus, he loved sinners, but he hated sin. You'll have a greater love for righteousness. You'll have a stronger desire to correct wrongs committed in your life. You'll have a stronger desire to apologize to people when you've wronged them. You'll have a stronger desire to forgive one another. You'll have a much bolder and effective witness. And the evidence of the fruits of the Holy Spirit will be start seeing in your life. You'll start seeing the fruits more and more in your life. Does it take time to grow into a plant? Didn't Jesus talk about you know, the early and latter rain? Well, what was the purpose of the early and latter rain in ancient Israel? Was not the early rain to cause the plant to grow? So what happens? You would plant a seed. What's the seed represent in the Bible? The Word of God, the Gospel. And what, is the, um, what does the good soil represent? I'll give you a hint. Our hearts. So the Word or the Gospel is planted in our hearts, all right? And you're born again, aren't we? Does it take time for a plant to grow? Yeah. So the early rain would, the early rain would cause the plant to grow. This is, so the early, early rain would cause the plant to grow. And then what would happen? Just before the harvest, and what's the harvest represent? Second coming of Jesus, isn't it? Just before the harvest, the latter rain would come and bring the plant, prepare the plant for maturity or for the harvest. And so that's why we need the early rain of the Holy Spirit to mature to receive the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. So it's just, we're just claiming a promise by Jesus. So I remember when I started praying for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, I started repenting and praying. And straight away I started noticing changes in my life. It's progressive. You know, there's still things happening. God is still chiseling out. I remember, you ever had that prayer when you say, search my heart, O God, to see if there's something wicked in me? It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a good prayer because you think you've just sort of had one victory and you go to Jesus, search my heart, Lord, to see if there's something else, and guess what he does? Well, with me, he usually reveals it through my wife. And she says, uh, reminds me something about my character. And I go, I didn't even know that about me. I'm really like that. And she goes, yeah, sometimes you can be like that, Colin. And I go, wow. And so what I can do, I've got to go to my knees. Lord, remove that from me. Chisel that out of me. Remove that from me. So this is a, remember, sanctification is a work of a lifetime. That's right. For me, all of a sudden, the things I used to want to watch, I didn't want to watch anymore. The music I used to listen to, I didn't want to listen to. I wanted to start reading God's word. I didn't ever have a desire for that as much as I did when I started praying for Christ in me, the hope of glory, or the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. I started to wanting to witness and lead people to Jesus that I really never had before. Doesn't that make sense, though? If Jesus is living out his life in us, didn't he say we'd do the same things as Jesus? He said that in John 14, 12, didn't he? Uh, he even started leading me to preach, which I never wanted to do before. I still don't want to do it. You know, I, I dread it when I have to preach, but he led me to start preaching. And the most incredible thing is that he started having victory 
over the besetting sins in my life. That's what happened to me. And what happens is you start seeing the fruit started manifesting in your life of love, joy, peace. And even in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is godliness and righteousness. Well, we receive Jesus imparted righteousness through the Holy Spirit, don't we? Christ in us, the hope of glory. So what does the Bible of the Spirit of Prophecy say about the result of those who received the early rain, baptism in the Holy Spirit? She says in Desire of Ages, when the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. The Holy Spirit is to transform our lives back into the image of God. Sinful thoughts are put away, evil deeds are renounced, and love, humility, and peace take the place of anger, envy, and strife. So if you're having anger, envy, and strife, don't you want to have joy, love, and humility in your life? Then you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it says that joy takes the place of sadness, and the countenance reflects the light of heaven. Do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for sanctification and victory over sin and to produce fruit? We do. Absolutely. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, and I talked about this with a kid's story this morning, and we'll be all unfailing, behold, in the mirror of the glory of the Lord. So as we behold Jesus and we spend time with Jesus and focus on Jesus, are being transformed in the image of Jesus from what? From glory to glory. God's glory is his character. So this is character transformation from glory to glory. But by how? By the Spirit of the Lord. By the Holy Spirit, we're transformed. Listen to what Ellen White says about sanctification. In Testimonies, Volume 6, page 86, she says, Oppress upon all. I think that means all of us. The necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification of the church, so there'll be living, growing, fruit-bearing trees of the Lord's planting. Do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give the everlasting gospel to the world? The three angels' message to the world? We do. Listen to what Ellen White says again in Review and Herald, February 18, 1819. She says, what we need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without this, we are no more fitted to go to the world than were the disciples after the crucifixion of their Lord. Ellen White is telling us that we are no more fitted to go to the world with the everlasting gospel and the three angels' message than were the early disciples without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is, what we, this is the missing piece, brothers and sisters. This is what the seven-day Adventist church needs. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Christ in us. Then when we have that, we will finish the work and we can go home. There is a crisis coming. I mean, look what's happened just, just the last week. We've had the, like, a biblical proportion of a flood in Texas and uh, Louisiana. They're saying it's like a one-in-a-thousand-year flood. They've never seen anything like it. And at the same time, you've got India, Nepal, and uh, Bangladesh having great disasters. And we know from the Bible in um, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark chapter 13, that these natural disasters are going to increase in frequency and intensity. We're seeing ecumenism coming. We're seeing all the religions in the world. They're having meetings regularly now with the Pope saying we need to become one and we need to fight climate change. Interesting, if you've read the great controversy, this is exactly what Ellen White said would happen. She said, because of all the natural disasters that are happening around the world, the world, religions are going to unite, okay, and fight climate change. 
And you've read, if you've read the Pope's encyclical on climate change, right in the middle of it, there is Sunday law, a call for Sunday law. Okay? Well, you have a think about it. As these natural disasters keep getting worse and worse, and they're calling for a climate change, the world, governments have nearly come together. Now, Donald Trump's just pulled out of it, sure. But what are the people are rising up against that, aren't they, all around the world? And as these natural disasters, they're going to say, hey, listen, we need to do something about it. And so they're going to throw money at it. They'll throw money in it. But you know what? It's just going to keep getting worse. Okay? And eventually they're going to say, hey, we've got, I've got an idea, the Pope says. What happens if we, uh, we gave the planet a rest from human activity? What happens if we gave the planet one day off a week from human activity? We would reduce climate, the effect of mankind on climate change by 15% overnight. Overnight. And you think governments in the world are going to get on board? Of course they will. The Bible in Revelation 13 tells they're going to get on board. But things are going to keep on getting worse. And then eventually they're going to make bring in a Sunday law. And then eventually they're going to say, well, what's going on? Huh, there's a people who are not getting on board with this climate change and Sunday law. And so we know the rest of what's going to happen in Revelation 13. So there's things happening and they're happening rapidly. If you're paying attention and you can see what's happening with the religions in the world, uniting together to fight climate change just as the great controversy and the Bible in Revelation 13 said would happen. So now's the time to prepare for the latter rain. Listen to what she says. Ellen White says, do you want to be prepared for the final crisis? The time of trouble, the close of probation? This is what she says. She says, nothing but the baptism of the Holy Spirit can bring up the church to its right position and prepare the people of God for the fast approaching conflict. It's really important. So what is Jesus waiting for? What is Jesus waiting for? Jesus is waiting for us. In Revelation 7, it talks about, Jesus talks about holding these four angels, holding back the winds of strife, doesn't he? He's actually holding back the winds from causing harm on the, on the earth. He's holding it back. And what's he waiting for? He's waiting for his people to be sealed where? On their foreheads. Isn't it interesting that on the foreheads, and Ellen White even says in Christ's Object Lessons that Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of what? Himself in his church. He's not waiting for us to reproduce his character. He's waiting for his character to be reproduced in us. And the way that Jesus' character is reproduced in us is to have Jesus living in us. It's the only way. She says, when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he'll come to claim them as his own. So I want to just talk a little bit about the latter rain. The latter rain. The latter rain is talked about in Revelations 18 verse 1, where it talks about an angel coming down and lighting up this earth with God's glory. And we know what God's glory is, what? It's his character, isn't it? Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33? Sorry, I've only got another 10 minutes to go and then we can, we can go to lunch. But Moses says to God, he says, God, show me your glory. What a, what a bold question. Show me your glory. And, you know, when you think about showing your glory, you think like it's going to be some sort of incredible, you know, miracle. The sun's just going to blot out or something, you know, something incredible, bright shining light. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'm gracious, and I'll be compassionate on who I'm compassionate on. God reveals his character 
as his glory. And if you notice, he goes on then gives his Ten Commandments. And his Ten Commandments are a transcript of God's character, aren't they? God is love. The Ten Commandments are man's duty of God, love to God, and love to one another. So God's glory is what? His name. He says, I'll let my name pass before you. His character and his law. And where is God's name found in God's commandments? Right in the fourth commandment. The Sabbath is at the heart of his name. And God's name, law, character and his glory are all one and the same. And God wants to write his name, his glory, his character on our mind and our hearts, doesn't he? Hebrews chapter 8 and 10. It says the Holy Spirit wants to write God's law because of the, under the new covenant that's made possible because of Jesus on where? On our forehead and our hearts. Isn't it interesting in Revelation chapter 14 that says that God's last day people, what do they have written on their foreheads? The Father's name. And so the Father's name on their foreheads. So what will be the only ambition of those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit? This, there's only two things will happen. There's two things that will become your only ambition. And I know they're my only, my only ambition. I know many people that I know here. I know it's their ambition. The only ambition when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit is to reflect the character of Jesus and to build up his kingdom. That's it. That's it. And listen to what Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 120. She talks about the early believers when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's a great promise here. She says, The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. With great power gave the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Here's the good news. These scenes are to be repeated and with even greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be even more abundant. So the early rain prepares us for the latter rain, and this is what's going to happen. We're going to reveal the likeness of Jesus' character, and we're going to build up his kingdom. Is that good news? Do you want to be part of the latter rain? I want to be part of the latter rain. And if you want to be part of the latter rain, guess what? You need to receive and grow in the early reign of the Holy Spirit. You need to be daily baptized with the Holy Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's our only hope of glory, which is God's character, isn't it? God's glory. So those who grow in the early reign of the Holy Spirit, we're ready to see the latter reign and will give the three angels' message in power. And I know it's the week of prayer starting today, is it today? The week of prayer. Well, why not make this your prayer for this next week? Make it every day of your life to pray daily for revival in this church. Pray daily for revival in your own lives. And pray daily for the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, so that you can reveal the likeness of Jesus and you can give the three angels' message in power to your neighbour. This is the vision. This is my last slide. This is the vision that Ellen White ha- said would happen, all right, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what she saw in the last days. And I believe this is what he could see, we can see for this church if my people pray. This is what she saw in Testimonies of God. Testimonies of Church, chapter 9, 126. She says, in the visions of the night, this is this vision that Ellen White had. 
passed before me of a great reformatory movement amongst God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. Hundreds of thousands were seen visiting the church. Is that what it says? No. It says hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families. Where do families live? In their homes. It sounds like to me that there's hundreds of thousands of God's people filled with the Holy Spirit doing Bible studies in people's homes. It says that, doesn't it? Opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. On every side, doors were thrown open, the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence. There's God's glory lighting up the earth, reflecting Jesus' character. Great blessings were received by true and humble people of God. So my prayer for you, my prayer for this next week, is that if you come together and you pray together, you put your differences aside like the early disciples did, they put their differences aside, and you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so you can reflect the character of Jesus and maybe you can pray and ask God to bring one soul to Jesus in the next 12 months. Ask him. I'm sure he has plenty of souls out there that he wants to give to you. There's some great devotionals that um, you might have heard. Has anyone read The Steps to Personal Revival? A few people. Awesome book. Awesome book. We, uh, I had just got an uh, email from the youth director in Queensland. Uh, someone gave her the book and... Uh, she said it's changed her life. And she's given it to all the youth, starting to give it to all the youth in Queensland, and many, many young people are being filled with the Holy Spirit on fire for Jesus. So that's an awesome book. Another one is 50 Days Prayers and Devotions to Prepare for the Latter Reign of the Holy Spirit. Another awesome book by Dennis Smith. Just devotionals to come together and start praying in small groups um, for lost souls. So God bless you, and uh, I just pray that God will use you to win many souls. I challenge you to pray, Lord, give me one more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus who came and lived among us as our example, who himself was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in water. And he has sent the Holy Spirit that we too may be convicted of sin and led to be baptized in water for the remission of sins, but also that you want to dwell in us and through us, through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray as a church today that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you will live in us, and that our only ambition will be to reflect your character and to build up your kingdom. Lord, we can't do anything. We have no bread. We need the bread of life. So I pray that you will fill us and you will lead us to people to open your word of God and to prepare them for your soon return is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. 
That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia. All one word. .org.au Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. was brought to us by Connie Vanderman Jeffrey. Coming up next, we are listening to Sandra Enterman with the beautiful song, Are You Ready for Jesus to Come?
It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.